have to start working more together with this. And that'll result, hopefully, in less bears put down. A dramatic jump in bear encounters. What conservation officers say is behind it. Plus... This is just another barrier that we're adding to the load for these people. Community hub in jeopardy. The fate of a Squamish laundromat that could leave residents hung out to dry and... All road users need to be following the rules. I don't want to single out just drivers. Mapping out the risk. Vancouver's most dangerous intersections as voted by commuters. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thank you for joining us. Those stories in a moment, but first, tragedy has struck in the Rockies. Two people have been killed in a grizzly bear attack in Banff National Park. Carolyn Curry de Castillo has our top story. The area around Yahatinda Ranch is known for spectacular scenery, horseback riding and hiking, minus the crowds in other parts of Banff National Park. It's remote, relatively speaking, and it's grizzly bear country. On Friday evening at around 8, Parks Canada Dispatch got a GPS device alert of a bear attack. The weather didn't allow for a chopper to go up, so a Parks Canada response team went in on the ground through the night and got to the victims by 1 in the morning. They found two deceased people, and while they were in the area, they spotted a grizzly bear that Parks Canada says was displaying aggressive behavior, so they euthanized it. Uh, we have more issues with elk attacking people than we do with bears, so um, this is not something that's normal behavior on behalf of the bears. Bear experts say any number of things could have triggered the bear, including dogs surprising the bear or it defending a food source. That food is so critical, they might have felt that they were being, uh, their food source was being threatened in some way, even if it wasn't. Merle Fox, who operates Sunset Guiding and Outfitters on the Panther River, says he's never had an encounter with an aggressive bear before, but food in the area is limited this fall. Well, there's no berries for them. Like, there, there's no berries anywhere this year, and that's basically what they live on in the fall time. They're probably going after a lot of the deer, uh, the young elk, and a lot of the wild horse colts are disappearing to the bears. We've had good luck with them. We've, we've never been bothered with them before. Uh, usually uh, I see bears on the trail or something, they'll run off. As a precaution, a closure is in place in Banff National Park, including parts of the Red Deer River and Panther River Valleys. Carolyn Curry, Dick Steele, Global News. Here in B.C., conflicts between bears and people are skyrocketing, with the number of calls to conservation officers up more than 100% this summer compared to an average year. While it's a sign the bear population is doing well, as Paul Johnson reports, the situation is also leading to an alarming spike in bears being put down. It was a sight that was hard to forget. A black bear roaming the high-density parts of Langley near Willowbrook Mall. Well, the bear sow didn't apparently threaten any people. Its history of having been in neighborhoods, getting relocated and then coming back, meant the conservation officer service made the decision to kill it. When these bears get to a point that the food conditioning, the threat to the public is too high, we will have to do our job. That Langley bear is among the more than 150 that the Conservation Officer Service is estimated to have killed so far this year. A number that's likely higher than previous years. In August alone, they got 6,000 black bear-related calls across the province. 
No one is sure why. There appears to be a higher level of human bear contact, but there are some theories. We do have a high black bear population, and as winters get warmer, I, you know, this is just some, some thoughts that that the bears are, are, are doing well. Um, they're having the two, three, four cups, and, and the population is not going down. Come on, you gotta go. You gotta go, bud. So there are more black bears and also more people as the human population grows. Given the geography of British Columbia, where there's a new housing development, there's a good chance it's in bear territory. And while a handful of communities have made great progress in managing attractants like garbage, many have not. You have more people, you have more bears, you're gonna have more complaints. In BC, it's the lower mainland that reliably generates most of the wildlife complaints. And with most of it being bear country, black bears frequently find themselves in trouble in the province's most populated region. As black bears head into their fall season of constant eating to bulk up for winter hibernation, experts say now is the time to think about whether you're threatening a black bear's life by leaving attractants around your home. Paul Johnson, Global News. Black bears were killed in the province. They were most likely to die in Prince George, followed by Nelson, Castlegar, Okanagan Falls, Revelstoke and West Kelowna. As the crisis of emergency room closures continue to hinder health care at multiple B.C. interior hospitals, one city is taking action. As Victoria Famia reports, the mayor of Merritt has made a decision that is likely to get the province's attention. It's a way to say, if you're going to charge us for something, then give us the services you're charging us for. The city of Merritt is taking the drastic step of withholding tax money from the provincial government following the latest ER closure. We pay this every year, beginning every year. So for 2023, we've already paid. So coming to 2024, uh, we will then recalculate, um, you know, 365 days of the year, what we pay for our taxes, and then we will pull back the uh, amount of days that we were closed because it was a service that we didn't get, or I would expect the government would credit us coming into the next year. The emergency department at the Nicola Valley Hospital has been closed 14 times this year, something residents say they've never seen before. The staffing shortage that they say is the reason for these closures has to be addressed. All of these communities need emergency care, and their standard answer for us here in Merritt is if we need emergency care, then we are to go to Kamloops. Gatz expects the government to have a response to his decision and he welcomes it. Before we get too crazy is to uh, work with the ministry and say, okay, so how does this look like? What, how do we make this work and how do we get compensated for the days that we never uh, got service on? According to the mayor, the fire department is now having to step in to help the ambulance service shuttle patients out of town. And because of that, he plans to bill the government for those services taken on by the firefighters. Now we are downloading responsibility from the government, uh, having our firefighters respond to first aid calls, which is not their responsibility. So I've asked the fire chief to keep his track on stuff that was non-scope when our hospital went down, and we will submit that bill back to the province for uh, remuneration as well. Getz is urging other municipalities dealing with ER closures, like in Oliver, where the South Okanagan General Hospital Emergency Department has been closed nine times just this month to follow in Merritt's footsteps. Victoria Femia, Global News. 
A temporary primary care clinic has opened in Lytton more than two years after the village's health facility was destroyed by fire. It's located on Lytton First Nation lands and will be operated by Interior Health. It will serve the community until a permanent health facility is built. The clinic offers physician visits, mental health and substance use services, home health and public health services. It's staffed by two doctors and two registered nurses, as well as an Aboriginal patient navigator. Lytton's mayor is calling it a step in the right direction. 20 years ago, we fought really hard as a community here to, to build a, a health centre with, uh, we had assisted living, we had x-ray, we had lab service, uh, we had urgent care, we had primary care, we had a pharmacy, um, all of those pieces. And, uh, you know, we want that back. The St. Bartholomew's Health Centre was destroyed in the 2021 wildfire. Planning for the new centre is underway. A small business that has quickly grown to become a community hub in Squamish is facing closure. The lease is up this fall, and as Kamal Karamali reports, the laundromat has been told it won't be renewed. Um, this is the spot. Welcome to the spot. These are my Electrolux 30-pound machines. Squamish's only coin-operated laundromat. This is way more than a laundromat. It is, it is a gathering place. Its primary clientele, tourists and nomads like Taylor Perkins, originally from Texas. It seems there's no other laundromats in Squamish, and right now I'm hanging out in Squamish, so I needed my laundry done. And low-income locals. I live in my van, so I don't have a place at home to do laundry. The laundromat opened in 2019 when the owner, Ashley Lear, needed a place to wash her own clothes. Now about to lose her spot in this complex. It was like a total and complete surprise. I was in sh like full shock. She says she planned to renew the lease of the laundromat after the landlord sent a letter in April, but thought she had more time to sign the documents. And then I got a notice uh, by email saying that um, they were moving in a different direction and my vision was no longer aligned with what they had in mind for their center. Global News reached out to the laundromat's landlords but did not hear back in time for a deadline Sunday. Lear says the landlords have notified her she must be out by November 30th, leaving the next closest coin-operated laundromat in North Vancouver. I think it'll be devastating for their households. If they have to drive to Vancouver, some, like if they don't have a car, then they won't have access to get to Vancouver. With conversations with the landlords going in circles, there's little recourse. We need a laundromat in town. It just seems a no-brainer, and it is an essential service. Now trying to put public pressure on the landlords by starting an online petition. I think this is a community issue, and we need to get support from, our, from the district and from the Chamber of Commerce, Tourism Squamish. In hopes change occurs before the place closes its doors for good. Kamel Karamali, Global News. The union representing striking Roger Sugar employees is escalating its job action against the company. Workers from the Vancouver plant took to the picket line Thursday after talks over a new collective agreement broke down. Key issues include wages and the transition to what's called continuous shifting, which would see employees move from an eight-hour workday from Monday to Friday to 12-hour shifts, including overnights and weekends. Today, the union declared a hot work edict against products from the plant. 
we uh, we do have our members down at uh, at the plant, uh, and they have seen lights on, and I know that they are using management to work inside the mill. So by issuing this hot goods declaration today, um, is basically trying to get the support from all of the other unions that uh, that deal with Rogers Sugar and uh, try to keep the goods in in the refinery. It's unclear how this could affect consumers, but a union representative says it could have an impact on what's available on grocery store shelves and on some big companies like Starbucks, Coca-Cola and Pepsi. Still to come, ranking the roads. What Vancouverites think is the most dangerous intersection in the city. Also ahead, a family's renewed call for answers three decades after the unsolved disappearance of a young woman in Kamloops crew from a cruise ship was called on to help put out a dumpster fire at Canada Place. The Discovery Princess was tied up when the fire broke out around 3 this afternoon. Crews used their onboard hose to help control the flames before they could spread. A short time later, Vancouver firefighters arrived and quickly extinguished the fire. A District of North Vancouver firefighter has added to the long list of actions he's taken to help Ukraine since the country was invaded. He's shipped containers full of supplies and warm clothes to the war-torn country, and now he's just returned from a first responder training mission. Here's Grace Key. And if my patient is developing a tension pneumothorax, a team of local firefighters has been in Ukraine teaching tactical combat casualty care to emergency rescuers in the war-torn country. Among them, District of North Vancouver firefighter Jared Reynolds. A lot of these firefighters were the, were the first uh, to respond with their teams who were clearing landmines left by Russia and a lot of them have no medical training. So even something as simple as us showing them how to do tourniquets or properly apply bandages uh, could be the difference of life or death for one of their team members. This was Jared's fourth mission to Ukraine. So these are going to head to Ukraine soon. Last year, he discovered a 200-bed decommissioned field hospital in the North Shore that they were able to send over to Ukraine. Individual first aid medical kits. For a second mission, he helped deliver several hundred pounds of tourniquets, pressure dressings, and other medical supplies. That's when he noticed Ukrainians were underdressed as Russia continued to target power stations. So for his third mission, North Shore firefighters held a winter clothing drive and filled two 40-foot sea containers with jackets, blankets and other warm clothing in a matter of weeks. You have a, you know, a country that's independent that's being invaded by like one of the global powers and I don't feel like the world is doing enough. So uh, if there's little things I can do that help make a difference, then I'm just going to continue to do that as long as I can. Their efforts have been highlighted with local media, and Ukrainian first responders are hoping they'll be able to return next year to offer more training. Grace Key, Global News. A Vancouver advocacy group is highlighting the city's most dangerous intersections as chosen by residents. At recent car-free day events in the city, Vision Zero Vancouver asked people to put a pin on this map indicating where they've experienced crashes, close calls or unsafe situations. At the end of the experiment, a few areas stood out, one of them at Main and 7th Avenue. The group says there are 81 crashes each year at this intersection and it's partially due to the fact that Kingsway, Main and Broadway traffic all converge here. And the area is heavily used by drivers, pedestrians and cyclists. It's best as much as possible if you can try and like separate those uses. 
You have uh, areas that are more for pedestrians, more for cyclists, and you have areas that are more for cars. Um, Vancouver and many cities in North America do this weird thing where we put the commercial strips on the arterial routes and those uses are kind of conflicting. The biggest thing is we need to be designing our streets, our intersections, so that even when mistakes happen, they're not fatal, they're, they're not dangerous. Um, and, and try and like make every interaction as safe as possible. Vision Zero Vancouver's goal is to reduce the number of traffic crashes resulting in death or serious injury. Calls are growing to increase police patrols in downtown Prince George as businesses report taking a hit from increased crime. Buckhorn Heating and Air Conditioning has dealt with fires, graffiti, and most recently, 11 windows being smashed. This has led to increased fear among employees and repair bills in excess of $12,000. Meantime, City Councilor Tim Bennett says Council is exploring increasing the policing budget for the coming year. Next year's budget where Council will then look at, uh, again, increasing RCMP capacity. Uh, I know that, you know, I think, I think things have probably moved slower than, you know, both Council and the community uh, wish to see following the last election. Until then, business owners say they are having to consider other expensive security measures like shutters. It's been more than three decades since a young woman disappeared in Kamloops. 20-year-old Sherry McLaughlin vanished while riding her bike to her boyfriend's house in the early hours of September 19, 1993. Her mangled bike and backpack were found on the side of the road, but no trace of her has ever been discovered. Police have not named a suspect, but Sherry's family believes the person responsible is dangerous offender Daniel Dow, who remains behind bars on unrelated charges. They claim they know where this guy is, what prison he's sitting in. They know where he is, but they failed to make an attempt to question this guy and get any real answers. Sherry's brother James has called for justice reforms so no other family has to endure the pain he's suffered for 30 years. A major spill forces the evacuation of an Illinois town. Investigators search for the cause of a deadly ammonia leak, plus at least 13 people have been killed in what's believed to be one of the deadliest nightclub fires in Spain. Five people are dead and another five have been left seriously injured after a semi-truck carrying thousands of liters of a toxic chemical crashed in Illinois. The town of Totopolis has been evacuated, displacing 500 people. Two children are among the dead after a deadly ammonia leak Friday night. Residents say the smell of ammonia hit them as they went about their evenings. Then the alerts came and everyone fled. Hazmat crews remain on scene trying to deal with the spill while investigators try to find a cause. Preliminary information indicates that another vehicle may have been involved in a passing maneuver near the tanker truck. The driver of the truck appears to have reacted by pulling to the right. The tanker truck departed the roadway. After departing the roadway, the truck rolled over and the cargo tank was compromised. Officials say as it rolled, the tanker hit a utility trailer and burst open. Five people have died after a vehicle rollover in a remote part of Manitoba. 
RCMP say they were called to the town of Swan River, about 500 kilometers northwest of Winnipeg, around 5 yesterday afternoon. They found an SUV that had gone into a ditch and rolled into a field. Police say none of the five occupants was wearing a seatbelt. Three men and two women were ejected from the vehicle and died at the scene. RCMP believes speed was a factor in the crash. At least 13 people are dead after a fire at a nightclub in southeastern Spain. Authorities say the blaze broke out in the University of Murcia earlier this morning. Rescuers are searching for several others believed to be missing, but the collapse of the building's roof is making the search for victims difficult. The cause of the fire is under investigation. After the break, Yvonne has your forecast and thousands of runners fill the streets of Vancouver for the run for the cure. Stay with us. Advocates for people with dyslexia are hoping to raise awareness at the B.C. Legislature this week. The event is scheduled for Tuesday with a number of speakers in attendance, including doctors and students. Dyslexia B.C. is hosting an event at the Legislature called Say Dyslexia. They're asking for changes, including better policies and more funding to support students with more resources and instruction. Students living with dyslexia currently do not receive any funding at all. However, the group is optimistic as Premier David Eby's new education mandate includes initiatives surrounding the disability. The other exciting thing that happened in August was that the Select Standing Committee on uh, Government Services and um, Finances recommended in August that we fund and start screening for dyslexia in kindergarten, which would make a huge impact on trying to identify these students early and early interventions, which is what we want. We'll get our best outcomes if we have early interventions. The event at the legislature is this Tuesday at noon. It comes as BC plans to proclaim October 7th to the 14th as Dyslexia Awareness Week. If you're planning on heading out of town, be prepared as winter tires are now required on some BC highways. Provincial law requires winter tires on vehicles from October 1st on most highways. Winter tires have a three-peaked mountain snowflake symbol and a mud and snow symbol. A minimum 3.5 millimeter tread is also required. It's in effect until March 31st with some going until April 30th. Yvonne is here now, and Yvonne, uh, <laughs> no real winter weather today around no. here. It's kind of hard to imagine putting on winter tires on a day like today. Thanks, Travis. Great to have you here with us this evening. We are seeing a fantastic day through the day today. Bit of a change and blip in the forecast as we round off our long weekend for tomorrow. We're currently sitting at 13 degrees. It's a mainly cloudy sky. We've got light southwesterly wind up to 7 kilometers per hour, but it's overnight and taking us in towards the morning hours that we are looking at the potential and chance for showers for most areas across the lower mainland. A few showers have popped up. We can see that across the island. That'll continue overnight and taking us through the day on Monday. And then in behind it, we actually have a ridge that'll start to build across the southern half of the province. The other weather story that we're following is along the northern half, where we are seeing system after system. Along the north coast, we are going to track that rain. It'll leave off briefly through the day, but then in behind it, it's waves of moisture that'll likely continue even as we get in towards our Wednesday and potentially in towards our Thursday. So through the 
day tomorrow. We've got rain and heavy at times are easing off rather I should say along the northern half of the province. Unsettled for our Monday along the south coast and then in behind it on Tuesday some breaks and temperatures are actually going to start to bump up towards the end of the week but the bulk of the moisture will continue to fall along the northern at northern half of the province. Areas inland as well. Prince George will be included within that and the northeastern corners of the province. We are seeing some breaks now. It has eased off in terms of the local smoke across the region. 14 as the high. Much of the central interior will start to see a brief break between systems and then heavier rainfall moving in through the day on Tuesday. Southern half of the province, isolated showers, more cloud cover for the morning hours, a clearing towards the afternoon. It'll be a touch cooler in comparison to what we're seeing through the day today with temperatures getting closer to 20 degrees. Whistler breaks on the way for the afternoon. Most of the island and the south coast will see that cloud cover in the morning hours. Showers in the mix, a cooler day tomorrow. Do keep that in mind, just getting up to 13 degrees. Should dry it out as we get in towards the evening and then rebounding. Tuesday, Wednesday, we're up to 16 degrees and then it's our long range forecast. Thursday, Friday, we've got the return for temperatures even warming up on Friday, Travis. Highs between 19 away from the water up to 24. Back to you. Thanks, Yvonne. Thousands of runners pounded pavement this morning in Vancouver to support people affected by breast cancer. The annual CIBC Run for the Cure took place at Concord Community Park. People participated in 5-kilometer and 1-kilometer runs. The event helps raise awareness for breast cancer and raise money for patient transportation and supports like WIGS. Runners say their experiences motivated them to come and show their support. All the, the loved ones that we've lost along the way, moms and sisters and aunts, um, it's just one of the most important things that you can do as women and as a family to support. And the team that puts us together are phenomenal. It's very important for me to come and give back and uh, to also support other women who are going through similar circumstances. We really want them to know that there is life after breast cancer, there is hope, and um, you know, with our fundraising efforts, we really want to raise a cure and, and raise the money to, to find that uh, that cure for, the, for cancer. The event was emceed by our very own Sonia Sanger and Jason Pires. Nice, nice to see them out. Yeah, nice to see them and a good turnout all together. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we got some sports coming up. As you know, this is my time, uh, Travis. We're going to uh, talk some baseball. The uh, Blue Jays know who they're going to play in the playoffs, and it's a bit of a surprise. We all thought it was going to be Tampa Bay for the last few weeks, but it's not. So we'll tell you who coming up. Take a look back at the Canucks game last night. They finally scored some goals, probably because they had mostly an NHL uh, lineup. Quinn Hughes played great, so a look back at that. A look back at the Whitecaps draw. And we have a big feature on Ryan Gold, who is uh, certainly the superstar and uh, leader of the Whitecaps, kind of a quiet Scottish guy, but finding his uh, voice certainly on and off the field now. We'll have a feature on him coming up. Barry, i got to ask you. I'm going to put you on the spot for mm -hmm. two seconds. Anything on the Swifties tonight? Oh, we got some Swifty coming up. Yeah. <laughs> Just got to check. There's, there's no choice. You have to do it. Like, it's such a big deal. It's, it's such New a big it's deal. It's in New York right now, and uh, it's 50-50. People are watching football, but they're also watching reacting Taylor. to everything that happens. What's Taylor think? Ryan Reynolds is there. Is Ryan Reynolds Blake there? Blake Lively yeah. is there. Oh, Hugh Jackman is there. You should be there, Yvonne. <laughs> more than just Taylor's. <laughs> yeah, it's more than just the Swifties. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Barry. We'll right. be looking forward to that. After the break... A Vancouver Island student goes up against the best in the world and wins. And as violence in schools increases, how can we protect teachers and students?
A Vancouver Island grade 11 student is being hailed as a rising star in global policy after winning an international competition. Desi Shaw took top place in the Centre for European Policy Analysis Pitching Competition. That gave her the chance to speak at an international forum this week. Her submission focuses on the Russian invasion of Ukraine and ways to increase global food security in the face of a major disruption by building in redundancy to supply chains. Shaw was competing against students from around the world, some of them as old as 26. I think I wasn't intimidated because I wasn't expecting anything to come of this. I was more approaching it as a fun idea. I'm very interested in foreign policy, uh, global policy, politics. I'm involved in politics at a home level in my home in California. And I'm involved in Model United Nations at my school as well as school government. And I was really just doing this out of interest and to try and push myself to learn a little bit more and apply the learning that I've had over the past couple of years with politics and global policy. Shaw hopes to study political science or international relations at university. Teachers returned to the classroom last month, but with their return comes concerns among educators of violence from those they're trying to teach. Sean Preville reports on what advocates and teachers themselves say needs to be done to protect them. We've heard about uh, broken bones. We've heard about black eyes and, and bloody noses that have uh, been a result of this violence. These are just a few of the injuries teachers unions say are being reported in schools across Canada. The trend is, is definitely growing. From verbal threats to physical attacks, some are even leaving teachers with lasting injuries. And as a result, they want action taken to better protect them. Nunavut Teachers Association President Justin Matchett says among the changes is the need for faster investigations into harassment and abuse. We do have staff who might be facing an investigation who are waiting months to a year to, to hear results of their investigation. Some governments have pointed to investments made to address the issue, while others note training being done to prevent violence. But educators say they still need more resources. That includes funding to hire more support staff like psychologists and social workers. And they're just not there. In fact, quite often when boards are looking at reduction in the monies that come to them, they cut, first of all, in the support staff or the education worker positions. Another factor in protecting teachers, the need for mental health support. Nova Scotia Teachers Union President Ryan Lutz stressing it can sometimes be a cause behind the abuse. Oftentimes the students that are violent, um, they aren't getting the support that, that they need, right? They have a complex set of needs. Yet changes can't happen without reporting and tracking those reports. And union leaders like Ted Upay in Yukon Territory say even the numbers being tracked now are likely under-reporting the problem. Under-reporting um, does not allow anyone to have an open, honest discussion. Educators say discussions and more funding are needed right now to prevent the teacher shortages already hitting classrooms across Canada from getting worse. Sean Preble, Global News. After the break, we'll have sports. The Ryder Cup comes to a close. Barry will have a recap of the final day. Stay with us. a brighter future for ALS patients and their families. Support Project HOPE, an ALS Society of BC initiative which embarks on a journey of unprecedented hope for ALS research through the ALS Research Professorship at UBC led by Dr. Pyro. 
Monster Jam returns to the Pacific Coliseum. Don't miss world-class athletes and their 12,000-pound monster trucks tear up the dirt in wide-open competitions of speed and skill. For Our BC, I'm Yvonne Shell. In partnership with Destination BC, Thompson Okanagan communities are ready to welcome you. There's no better way to help BC than by exploring BC. Okay, Barry's here, and uh, lots of football today, but first, I guess you're going to start with football of another. That's right. Variety. We got football American and football the rest of the world. All right. Thanks, Travis. The Whitecaps uh, certainly played a strong game for the most part last night, but a couple of breakdowns defensively cost them, and they had to settle for a two-all draw against D.C. United. So the Whitecaps remain sixth with just three matches to go. Their next game against West leading St. Louis on Wednesday at home. Last night, they were energized by playing their first home game in six weeks. Brian White leads the Caps with 13 goals going into this match. Didn't take them long to get the 14th inside two minutes. Ryan Gauld with the perfect cross for White, who heads it in. And it was 1-0 for Vancouver, but uh, the joy didn't last long. Yohei Takaoka has been a little suspect in goal last few weeks. Disastrous giveaway there. Kristen Benteke ties it. Second half, Ryan Gauld is going to get a penalty kick after Brian White was fouled in the box. Seven for seven from the spot for Gauld this year. Two on Vancouver, but once again, DC United respond. Matias click with the one-time blast, and it ends 2-2. The Whitecaps remain sixth with 43 points, three games left and still work to do to clinch a playoff spot. Once again, Ryan Gauld was a key contributor last night. One goal, one assist. No one in MLS has more goal contributions, goals and assists since May 31st. Gauld has been productive the moment the Whitecaps acquired him just over two years ago. The fans love him and the feeling is mutual as Gauld and his fiancée have fallen in love with Vancouver as well. At just five foot six, Ryan Gauld is truly a wee Scotsman. And when he was just a wee lad back in his homeland, it didn't take him long to realize soccer was his game. I just came from a young age, you know, going out with my dad, my older brother, just kicking a ball about until it got dark. Um, and then, you know, one Christmas we got uh, a set of goals, and then you couldn't get us out of the park even when it was dark. So. That's kind of when it started. That must be around 21, 22 years ago. Gall didn't let his lack of size get in his way. He played on all of Scotland's top national teams from the time he was a young teenager. He may not overpower anyone, but he's always used his mind and his heart to get where he needs to go. You know, if I, if I didn't work hard when I was younger, I think my, my mum and dad wouldn't have bothered taking me down to the pitches if I was, and down to the games if I wasn't going to run about and, and work hard. You know, I always had the, the belief that I could make a, a career from it. Um, thankfully, because I, I don't know what else I'd be doing if I wasn't playing football. Gauld ended up playing in Portugal for the iconic Sporting Lisbon club, but he didn't really get his chance to shine there with all of their top-end talent. He didn't know a lot about Vancouver and MLS, but when the Whitecaps showed big interest in the summer of 2021, he and his longtime sweetheart, Kat Hutchison, thought, why not try a new adventure? You know, we giggled it a lot and wanted to see if it was something that we'd be interested in, and everything online obviously looked amazing. It's a beautiful city, so... It sold us 
quite quickly. And so far, it's been a perfect fit. Gauld is clearly the engine that drives this team. He's in the middle of most of their offense, setting up and scoring goals. He's only been here two plus seasons, but he's already the captain and a guy who sets the bar for everyone. He's their highest paid designated player at two and a half million per season and worth every penny. He's a DP that works like he's number 29 on the roster, you know? So I think for a guy like me, especially when I see my DP run, run the way he does uh, on both sides of the ball, you know, it, it's super encouraging and it, it gets me going and it gets, you know, it sets the, the, the whole engine for the, for the whole team. You let him off or not? Gauld and Hutchison have also embraced West Coast life, enjoying the beaches with their dogs and partaking in surfing and other adventures in the great outdoors. But they also have a passion for giving back and have been a big supporter of Covenant House since their arrival in Vancouver. The homeless side of things in this city was quite a big thing for both of us and it made us really emotional, actually. And I think with Covenant House, because it was youths, um, you know, also just people in, you know, not far off of our own age group, um, I think it just resonated with us and we really wanted to, to get involved. Gauld is more of the strong, silent type, but has been forced to come out of his shell as the leader of the Whitecaps. I've gotten used to it, yeah, I'm, I'm like more comfortable with it. It's, it's still not, you know, one of my, my favourite things to do, but um, let you know, the fans trying to get to know me a little bit better is always always a nice thing. Everyone um, has nothing but good things to say about Ryan, and that's something he most definitely deserves. Great people, and we love their accents. The uh, Canucks have two more preseason games to go, Wednesday in Abbotsford against Seattle, and then Friday at Rogers Arena against Calgary. Last night, the Canucks finally got some goals, beating Edmonton 5-2, using a lineup about 80% guys you would expect to be in the starting lineup next week when the regular season begins, and it was Captain Quinn Hughes leading the way. Hughes had 76 points last year, but just seven goals. He has only 26 career goals in 283 games. He wants to bump up that goal total this year and he shows he can do that a two-on-one break here Phil DiGiuseppe with the aerial feed and uh, Hughes just bunts at home ties at 1-1 and then a few minutes later Pew Suter will force a turnover deep and it's Hughes one more time this time he will whip the screen backhander past Stuart Skinner two goals and an assist for Hughes Canucks win at 5-2 and they play again in Abbotsford on Wednesday when they take on the Seattle Kraken. Ryder Cup, Europe with the commanding 10.5 to 5.5 lead heading into today's singles. They only needed four points to recapture the Ryder Cup. Rory McIlroy had his best Ryder Cup ever going 4-1, and one, including a win today. He beat Sam Burns 3-1 and one to get Europe another point. And uh, Terrell Hatton, always uh, running hot with the emotions, will beat the Open champion this year, Brian Harmon, 3-1. and one. So the Ryder Cup now just a half point away. And Tommy Fleetwood, who's never won on the PGA Tours, won in Europe a few times. This hole out helped him beat Ricky Fowler, and it was uh, this match that ended up being the clincher. And the party was on. After that, so much emotion and camaraderie from the European team. They just seemed to have that edge over the U.S. Shane Lowry was down three at one point to Jordan Spieth. He has his match. You see how much it means to them. Europe wins it start to finish in Rome. Luke Donald in Europe winning the 44th Ryder Cup. Beth Page Black in New York hosts the next Ryder Cup in 2025. 
Final day of the baseball regular season. Jays clinched a playoff spot last night when the Mariners lost. Brandon Belt did belt a homer his 19th of the year, but the game meant nothing today. They lost 12-8, but because Texas lost and Houston won, the Jays are not playing Tampa in the first round. They're going to play the Minnesota Twins, which I think is a better matchup for Toronto. The Jays did have a playoff party after the game despite losing. Toronto's made the playoffs three of the last four years, but they have not won a playoff game since 2016. So this is the way it looks in the American League. The Jays and Minnesota, it'll be the Twins. They were 3-3 three and three this year. Kevin Gosman's going to get the start in Game 1 Tuesday at 1.30. All the games are at 1.30. It's 2 out of 3, and all the games will be played in Minnesota. And you see Tampa's going to play Texas, and in the National League, it's Miami and Philadelphia and Arizona and Milwaukee. NFL today, Miami and Buffalo. Well, let's actually talk about uh, this first. Abbotsford's Chase Claypool was a healthy scratch for the Chicago Bears today in their 31-28 home loss to Denver. Claypool has publicly complained that he has not been used enough in his time in Chicago. He's just traded there in the offseason, and it seems he already has a strained relationship with his head coach. There's word out of Chicago the Bears would like to trade Chase Claypool. Now let's check out some action. Miami and Buffalo Dolphins hung up 70 points on Denver last week, but the Bills have Josh Allen, and he was on fire today. One of his four touchdown passes here, two of them to Stephon Diggs. Allen was 21 of 24 for 320 yards, and he also ran in a touchdown for good measure as the Bills hammer the Dolphins 48-20. Miami's first loss. Both teams are now 3-1. and one. In the NFC, 49ers and Cardinals, San Fran a perfect 3-0, and they stayed perfect. It was mostly Christian McCaffrey. Takes the uh, overhand lateral here and then does the rest. Picks his way into the end zone for his second touchdown of the game, 14-0 49ers. Arizona made it close, but uh, McCaffrey was too much. Hauls in the Brock Purdy pass and then will roll into the end zone. Was never down on the ground. It's another TD. He had four of them. Niners go to 4-0, beating the Cardinals 35-16. Eagles are the only other 4-0 team in the NFL. And finally, oh my God, it's Taylor Swift. Following her new boyfriend, Travis Kelsey, Chiefs in New York to play the Jets. Swift obviously appreciates a great tight end. That's the position that Kelsey plays. Isaiah Pacheco, 48-yard touchdown run here. Made it 20 to uh, uh, give them the lead. And let's take a look at Taylor's reaction. She loves, she loves the Chiefs, and they got a reaction on anything she did. The Seahawks, by the way, are in New York and play the Giants tomorrow. And that's a lot of fun, but we do have a bit of sad news. George Reed, the, considered the greatest running back in CFL history, but the, most of his time with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, died today at age 83. So heavy hearts for the Green Nation in the CFL tonight. Yeah, uh, quite a run in the mm -hmm. CFL. Well over a dozen seasons, I yeah, believe. Yeah, he's back in the 70s. He was, uh, he was big stuff. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks, Barry. Mm -hmm. Well, after the break, Jay Durant will show us how Kelowna is becoming a hotbed for aircraft restoration. Stay with us. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. BC has a rich aviation history and the KF Center for Excellence in Kelowna plays a big role in keeping that heritage alive. Tonight on This is BC, Jay Durant shows us how the center is working hard to get an old DC-3 off the ground. A showcase of aviation history. Kelowna's KF Center for Excellence is bringing iconic planes back to life. 
What we're trying to do now is build upon all of the stories we already have and build new stories. And so we're constantly sourcing out aircrafts. The crew has gone to painstaking lengths to restore a de Havilland mosquito. And that mosquito is the original Sitka spruce BC wood, which is really quite amazing. And a hawker tempest. It will be the only one flying in the world. The centre is the dream of KF Aerospace founder and Canadian Aviation Hall of Fame member Barry Lapointe, who flew a DC-3 around the world promoting Expo 86. 37 years later, work is being done on that same plane so it can take flight again. We've actually literally taken the aircraft to pieces to familiarise ourselves with that aircraft and its requirements, and we're putting it back to its full uh, 86, Expo 86 restoration. The building itself is the product of some inspired engineering, constructed in the shape of a plane with every detail carefully thought out. The glue lamb beams that we have here in the hangar, to give us the shape of the actual wing, they actually bent the glue lambs to the exact curvature of a Spitfire wing. Here we have a nacelle from the Convert. An immersive experience for visitors, offering British Columbians a connection to the past to showcase uh, the aviation industry, for them to better understand the possibilities and to get people excited again about aviation. Jay Durant, Global News. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, email your ideas to jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Okay, uh, Yvonne, let's take one last <laughs> quick look at weather. Uh, more cloud cover, a bit of a different weather picture for tomorrow. We are seeing some isolated showers for most areas should start to ease off. It is going to be a touch cooler with highs just up to 13, but then Tuesday onwards, we'll be back into that sunshine. Starts to warm up towards the end of the week and potentially in towards the weekend, for example, on Friday, away from the water up to 24 degrees. So blipping the forecast tomorrow, cooler showers, and then Tuesday onwards, it'll be nice and pleasant. Barry's off tomorrow. Let's uh, hope that rain... Uh... <laughs> well, I'm just such an tizzy about Taylor Swift. I haven't even thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Have a good night. <laughs>